Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we are praising you today. We thank you indeed because you watch over us. We can trust you and depend upon you. And Lord, we are seeking your word. We pray that you will guide us now and speak to us, help us to apply what we're listening to our lives. Is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Rick, if you can put that uh, PowerPoint on the back screen too. I need that on the back screen. That will help me. You notice the title of the message on the screen, Flee, Dealing with Sexual Temptation. You have a, a, a study guide on your, inside your bulletin, and I invite you to take that out. You'll be able to complete it as you look at the PowerPoint. As you can imagine, this is a uh, sort of a sensitive topic, and I uh, would imagine that some of you, I've, I've heard this from others, that this is not a topic you hear a lot about in churches these days, dealing with sexual temptation. But this is a reality that uh, we need to talk about. We can't hide it because this is something that everybody is dealing with. And in particular, we see this happening in churches, in Christianity. And as we'll see, this is also relevant because, unfortunately, this is harming our youth. It's harming our youth. It's harming everybody. So pray over this as we talk about this. This is the first part of a two-part series on the subject, Flee, Dealing with Sexual Temptation. There's a story of a pastor who uh, arrived at his uh, office early on Monday morning, and he knew it was going to be a busy day, so he decided that he was, the first thing he was going to do was going to check his conference emails. You know, the conference, we have a specific email for the conference, then they send us stuff, and we have to make sure we look at that every day for important information. So he did that, and there was a, a, an email marked urgent from the conference president. And so he opened the email. The subject line of the email was, your presence is needed at the conference ASAP. So, you know, if I send an email like that, you know, something's going on, I wonder what happened. So he opens the email, and the email read as follows. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality in your church, and a kind of sexual sin that is not practiced even among unbelievers. So much so that uh, uh, it is reported that a man is cohabitating with his father's wife, and you are proud of it. You should be deeply sorrowful. You're, uh, we expect you to report to the conference immediately. Now, if you were to hear that something like that is going on in your church, maybe you would be a bit incredulous. Maybe you wouldn't believe it. How can that really be happening? But now, if you paid attention to this hypothetical email, you would have noticed that it is simply a transcript from the words of Paul to the Corinthian church. So let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start there, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, just to establish a bit of context. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And verses 1 and 2, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You, you know, obviously, you can look it up in your Bibles, your device. We will also have it on the screen for the sake of those who are watching. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. This is where this transcript comes from. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife and, and, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. You know, there, are, there is a number of serious issues going on in the church of Corinth. Things that Paul had to address. Again, remember, this is a Christian church. And Paul, as the leader, as the one who established the church, he had to handle these things. Things like uh, uh, sectarianism, problems with relationship among the brethren, so much so that one was suing the other. You know, suing each other in the church. And of course... There was issues regarding sexual immorality. Now, as you see here in chapter 5, uh, uh, it is a report. Something's happening in the church where a member of the church, a man, is having sexual relationship, well, a sexual relationship with his father's wife. This was bad. This is happening in the church. But as we'll see today, friends, the, there, there are other things happening that fall under the umbrella of sexual immorality in the church, in particular the church of Corinth. They were guilty of this. Now, you may be asking, okay, well, what does this issue of sexual immorality taking place at the church of Corinth have to do with us? Well, it has to do with us because, unfortunately, history repeats itself. It repeats itself. You see there on your, in your bulletins, I've included a number of amazing statistics, and I'm going to share that on the screen Sort of, you know, when we, when we read these, we, we, our mouths are like, what? I can't believe that's really happening. So notice, the first one, 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. And we're thankful, of course, that, that the youth feel... Uh, that they trust enough that to go to the youth pastor and talk about this, but this tells us that this is happening. Amen. That our teens, our young, uh, uh, young people are dealing with this kind of thing. This is why this is relevant, friends, because it's happening. Here's the next one. 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. Of the young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years of age, 76% actively search for porn. This should, you know, I, I, when I read this, I'm like, wow. Now, uh, right off the bat, I mean, you're looking at 50% of pastors, over 50% of pastors are actively viewing porn on a regular basis. 68% of men. Think about this particular one, because that tells us, friends, the, 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 the percentages are so high that tells us that it is very possible that somebody right here this morning is among those. Amen. Here's another one. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. Again, 
you know, that's part of what we do, counsel uh, people. And, and, you know, again, the, the important thing is acknowledging that there's a problem and seeking help. And obviously that seems to be happening. Now, you may, you may be thinking, some of you may be thinking, well, this is a problem among men. In other words, men are usually the, prob- uh, the ones that have issues with pornography. That is not true, friends. Notice this one, 33% of women age 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. So this is a problem that affects both sexes, friends. Yeah. 13%, only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn, which translates into the fact that 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 87%. These are self-identified Christian women. 55% of men are married men, and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation, and 69% say that, that it has adversely affected their church. And this is a, an eye-opening one. Notice, the average age of exposure to pornography in the United States is 11 years old and dropping. You tell me if this is not relevant. This is serious stuff, friends. Dr. Harry Schomburg, you see him on the screen there. This, this man has written a number of books on, on the issues of sexuality and intimacy in marriage. And uh, he wrote an article titled Sexual Sin in the Ministry. Notice what he says. Several years ago, a seminary professor told me, we no longer ask our entering students if they are struggling with pornography. We assume that every student is struggling. The question we ask is, how serious is the struggle? Think about it. This is, these are men and women who are, are, are going into seminary to prepare themselves to be spiritual leaders of congregations. And now the assumption is that all of them deal with pornography in some way or another. How serious is the issue now? Deep stuff, friends. Now, when we think about pornography... Uh, pornography is just one level of sin. Now, you, you, could, you could argue that pornography is v- uh, visual sex or, or perhaps heart adultery. But, but as we'll see today, the, the problem with pornography is that it doesn't stay there. It usually uh, uh, travels to the physical component. And of course, uh, you know, physical, it leads to physical adultery, which, which means having affairs or multiple affairs, prostitutions, etc., in fact, in the times of Paul, Paul writes to the Ephesians, this kind of thing was happening so much, he actually says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he says that, that these behaviors in the ministry were such heinous that they were unfruitful works of darkness, and he said that it was shameful even to speak of these things about what they do in secret. It is shameful to, to talk about what they're doing behind closed doors. History repeats itself. Now, you may wonder, why am I focusing on the issue of pornography? Well, because like most addictions, one thing leads to another. You have heard a lot about lately about the, um, in our country, this issue of the legalization of marijuana. You know, it's been, some states have legalized marijuana. And, and this is a controversial topic. And some people are, are, um, 
are against this because they recognize marijuana as a step drug. It's a step drug. That is, once you're addicted to marijuana or, or once marijuana does not provide the desired high, the person will seek a stronger drug. It's just common sense. It's just logical. And the same thing happens with pornography. See, see there, are, there are certain behaviors, there are certain things like sex or, or eating your, your favorite food. And, and believe it or not, even um, in, on social media, this, this is especially true of, of, of the youth, having the likes on social media, you know, Facebook, how many likes do you have? Those kinds of things cause a release of a chemical in our brain called dopamine. Dopamine, maybe you've heard of this. And so because of this dopamine, you know, they, the release of dopamine, the more often, in this case, porn is watched, the more our brains are flooded with dopamine. And what happens is that as consumers slowly become desensitized to the effects of dopamine because of what they're watching, they need an additional stimulation. They need something stronger to get the fix, to get the rush. And this is why this often leads to the physical component. In the case of married men, women leads to affairs and other behaviors, just like what Paul talks about in the Ephesians, that it's shameful to talk about what's happening behind closed doors. So this is the kind of thing, as in context, this is the kind of thing that it's happening in the, in the Corinthian church. But now let's go to our scripture reading in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That is our scripture reading. You'll always see it on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Now, when we, when we hear these passages, when we read this passage, um, how do we often use this passage? You know, us as Seventh-day Adventists, what, what, in what context do we use this passage most of the time? For food, yeah. You know, what you eat, right? We, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, we talk about what the Bible says you should eat, should not eat, and stay away from those things and drugs and alcohol. Why, why should we keep our bodies pure? Well, but because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's, the, well, that's how we usually no, normally use this passage. And I suppose that in principle, it's okay to use it because, the, you know, yes, we ought to glorify God with our bodies, and so we, we don't want to put in our bodies things that don't belong there. But obviously, the context is different. The context is different. Notice verse 18. Just before that, Paul says, flee sexual immorality, for every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That's the context. The King James says it this way, flee fornication. Flee fornication, why? Well, because every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he com who commits fornication is a, a sins against his own body. What is fornication? Well, the, the Greek word for fornication, you see there on the screen, is the word porneia. Can you say that with me? Porneia. The Greek porneia. And, and porneia is, is this word that is used to include all kinds of sexual sins. They all fall under the umbrella of what is called porneia. And as you can imagine, this is the root word where we obtain the word, the English word pornography. Porneia. 
And in the New Testament, notice that it was associated with pagan worship and idolatry. So think about it. We could paraphrase Paul's words in verse 18 where he says, flee. We could say, flee pornography. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits pornography sins against his own body. So notice that's the context of verses 19 and 20, this issue of, you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's true, but the context this issue of sexual immorality. We know that this is happening in the church of Corinth, this issue where we saw it in chapter 5. And so Paul is continuing to address this issue. That's the context. Now, uh, the word, you know, when, when Paul says flee, flee pornography, flee pornea, the word flee there is actually uh, in the imperative active form. Imperative meaning that it is as a command. In the active form that it means that it's in a continuous attitude and action. We need to make it a habit to flee. Amen. We need to make it a habit to run away. Now, normally running away, you know, when we think about running away and fleeing, maybe you think you're afraid, maybe you're a coward, but friends, fleeing in this context is really what defines a strong person. Flee continuously. You know, if you've ever dealt with sin in your life, you know that Satan doesn't give up just because you resisted him one time. Because what ends up happening is you resisted at one time, he's going to come again, and he comes again with help. He doesn't give up, friends. He comes back. And so we need to have the attitude of fleeing continually. So why should we flee? Why do we need to run away from pornea, from sexual immorality, from fornication? Why do we need to run away from pornography? Well, Paul here in in chapter 6 gives us six reasons why we should flee. And this morning we're going to look at three of those reasons. And then next Sabbath on our second part we'll look at three more of why we should flee. Why flee fornication? Why flee pornea? Well, let's look at the first one. We find that in in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13. Foods for the stomach, and the stomach's for food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that, is that, for example, the stomach was designed and intended for the use for digestion. God, God does everything with a purpose in mind. And so he designed the stomach for a purpose, to digest food. But the body, he says, was not designed for sexual immorality. So the first one, why flee? Why? Because the body was not designed for that. The, the body was not designed for sexual immorality. It was designed to give God the glory. This is why when we go to verse 20, he says, therefore glorify God in your body. The body was not, God not make the body for that kind of behavior. The body was not designed for the gratification of sensual desires, but for the Lord. And unfortunately, we live in a time, we live in a day and age when when many people think that they can choose whatever they want about sex. They They can believe whatever they want about sex. They can do whatever they want sexually. And no one has the right to tell them otherwise. And if you dare to tell them otherwise, then you're the bad person. You're the intolerant person. Corinthian church, friends, they were were dealing with it. Now, the Corinthian culture was vastly different on the surface. 
But at the core, there was there in the Corinthian church, just like today, the same conduit that leads to the same erroneous conclusions, that if the, that if, if, if the body is permitted to have everything it desires, if it's, if it's pleasurable, why not do it? Huh? If it's therapeutic, why not do it? If it's spiritual, let's go for it. And so, friends, when we use... Think about it. When you use something, whether it's a tool, whatever the case may be, that was not designed to do, you're not going to be successful. And so when we use the body for something that it was not designed to do, there's going to be bad consequences. Now, I'm not going to go into the details about this, but suffice it to say that no addiction will ever have a positive effect. No addiction, no matter what it is, is ever going to have a positive effect. It's always negative. So Paul says, he commands, flee, run away. Why? Well, because the body is not designed for that. It wasn't designed for sexual immorality, for pornea, for pornography, for fornication. It was designed to give God the glory. Well, the second reason why we must flee sexual immorality is found in verse 14. Notice, in God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Jesus Christ was raised with a glorious body. And the promise of Scripture is for those who accepted him as Savior and Lord is that those of us who've done that will also be raised by the same power. He's talking to the Christian church here. This is why he says uh, he will raise us up. By his power. And since that's what God, God is going to do, since that is God's intention, since God, that is God's plan for you, friends, indulging in carnal desires is unworthy of the saints. Imagine that he calls you a saint, that you are part of the saints because you're part of his people, that he, that he has saved because you accepted the gift, but if you indulge in that, it is unworthy of you. Unworthy of the saints. And you know, friends, There's nothing that makes you feel as dirty and as unworthy as sexual sin. Now, I tell you that with some authority. I tell you that from experience, friends. There is nothing that makes you feel like scum, like the scum of the universe, like so unworthy as it is sexual sin. And if you've dealt with that, you know what I'm talking about. Because Satan tries to convince you, he tries to use this to, to, to make you give up. Oh, you, you, you know, yeah, other people can be forgiving of this and that, but that dirty thing that you're doing, now nobody can forgive you. This is what Satan's trying to put in your mind. And you feel so, so dirty. And I suppose the reason for this is because as we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, we, we, we actually compare ourselves with him. We compare ourselves with with the pure and righteous and holy Christ, and we realize how short we fall. Yeah. And I think that's Paul's point here. See, the same power that raised Jesus with a glorious body is going to do the same for us. And the full realization of their union, as as you think about the Corinthian church, a full realization of their union with a spotless, pure, resurrected Savior, and their own hope of immortal purity should do more than anything else to keep them from from the degrading sin of sexual immorality. But friends, it should happen the same with us. 
It should do more than anything else to keep us from the degrading sin of sexual immorality in all its forms. For God has a plan for us. So notice the second reason again. God has a plan for our bodies. Why will we get into the mud and filth of sexual sin? Why, again, indulging in the carnal desires, this sexual sin is unworthy of the saints. Why? Because God has a better plan. Amen. He has a better plan for our bodies. Why would you go into this? Into the mud and filth of sexual sin. Now this leads us to the third reason. Why we ought to flee, why we ought to run away from pornea, from fornication, from sexual immorality, from pornography. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or as the King James Version says, God forbid. God forbid. See, we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't have it both ways. And so the question is, is it right for me to take what belongs to God and use it to serve the devil? Nope. Think about it. Is it right for us to do that? Remember, the God, our body was created to glorify God. But when we, when we give in to these sexual carnal desires, we're using it to glorify the devil. For his purpose. Notice verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, she says, shall become one flesh. Where else does the Bible say that the two shall become one flesh? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God created marriage. The two bodies become one. This is what God intended in the beginning. And this being the case, notice if a believer, this is a, 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 a reason number three, if a believer should be joined to a harlot, it would be the same as making the member of Christ a member of the harlot. Because the two become one. God's intention in the beginning, and friends, when we think about sex, sex was something good, it's something good, is a gift from God given to humanity in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Notice that I didn't say between a couple. Because these days, men marry each other and women marry each other. But friends, no matter what society says, that is unlawful and it's unbiblical, period. That's not God's intention. Sex in the context, uh, uh, was given in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. The two become one. Now you may be saying, well, okay. Maybe as long as I am not having a physical encounter with another person, I am okay. Right? Maybe you, you, you want to argue and say, all right, I, I'm dealing with this issue of pornography, but that's just looking at pictures. That's just looking at videos. I'm not harming anybody else as long as I am not physically involved with anybody else. But as I said earlier, friends, and again, any of you who have, have, who have ever had any form of addiction, whether it is this or anything else, the fact of the matter is one thing leads to another. It leads to another. Now, I think it's worth reminding you that sexual sin doesn't happen overnight. You don't just wake up one day, say you're a married person, 
You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, hmm, I'm going to cheat on my spouse today. Now, all of you didn't thought, you didn't think about it before, and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you decide this is what I'm going to do. That's not the way it works. If you, if you come to that point in your life, it's because you have already started to take steps that led to that. It's something that takes time, friends. It is a journey that we start. And by the way, it starts up here in our minds. It starts in our minds. You know, uh, can I be honest with you today? Is that all right? When I was first exposed to pornography, I was probably between 12 and 14 years old, around that time. So, you know, I'm a young teenager, right? Early teens, if you will. Now, um, back then, I lived in Puerto Rico, so I, I was living in a small town in Puerto Rico. And back then, if, if, you, if, if a teenager, think about it, if a teenager or an adult, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to go to a store and buy it, Right? Now, if, you, if you're in a small town, everybody knows you, at least knows who your family is. So you got to be careful, right? That, you know, people are watching because they see you why these things. But, but you know, I'm here, I'm, a, I'm an early teen. I don't have any money. And it's not like I can go to a store and buy it. But, 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 but somehow, and by the way, back then you could have a subscription to these magazines. But the point is, I didn't have any, but we, I had friends who somehow had these things. And, and so I was exposed early on. So uh, this was back then. This is back in the, in the 80s, the greatest decade ever, <laughs> the 80s. But you think about this today, because again, I, I'm trying to, to, to present to you how relevant it is today, because back then, I had, I, if, I, if I wanted to look at pornography, I had to go to a store and have money and buy it, and so nobody sees me, right? Today, it's as easy and close as our cell phones. It's as easy as clicking on your cell phone. And today, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. The kids, our children, can go in their, into the comfort and privacy on their own bedroom and close the door, and there's a world there that they're watching, and you know nothing of it. Now, I know that some of you young people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but this is, this is a life-and-death issue. As parents, you know, you know, God forbid I say, you know, invade your children's privacy, but there are things, the Lord, that friends, that if it's life and death, you want to save your child's life, you do whatever you need to do. Amen. It's important that you look at the phone, that you monitor what they're watching, that you put whatever safety precautions are there, and every once in a while you, you do a search history, whatever the case may be, because that's how important this is. Because when you start that young, again, in my case, again, I, I, I'm 12, to 13 years old, I'm looking at this, and that follows me into my late teens. Now, in my late teens, I, I became an Adventist, I accepted Jesus when I was 18 years old, and I went to the Navy, so there was a, a hiatus, if you will, of time that I didn't deal with it anymore. But once I go, and I, I've told you this before, once I go and become a firefighter and be, become exposed to the environment of the, the fire station, it's all over the place there. And that, it, come, it came right back. And friends, let me tell you, by then, the, um, you know, you had the magazines, and by then, the, the internet, it's starting. 
You know, it's becoming popular in the mid to late, you know, 90s there. And, and now, and of course, with the internet, it becomes a little more easier. And so what happens is that now, as I said earlier, pornography is a step, is a step drug. It starts little, but the more you get exposed to it, the dopamine is released. And before you know it, it just looking at it has no impact on you. It has no effect on you. You need something stronger. And eventually, that led me to be actively searching for an affair. This is, what, uh, this is where it led me. And God, and, and praise God that he intervened during that time. Now, you know, he intervened in my case, but he doesn't intervene in every case. But that's where it goes, friends. It doesn't stay at you looking at a picture or looking at a video. It's not going to happen. If you continue in that, it's going to take you to the bad road. And it may be like what Paul's saying to the Ephesians, you know, all these... Uh, unfruitful works of darkness, a shame even to speak of them, what they do in secret. And you know, this kind of thing will follow you. You know, it could be five, 10, 15 years. You could be an elder in the church preaching the gospel and you're dealing with that stuff. And I'm telling you this from experience. And then all of a sudden, when, when, when these things come to light, you're wondering, why well, I, I can't believe this happened in my church. But this is a reality, friends. This is a reality. There's a longevity in the process of falling into sexual sin. You know, again, Jesus said that this starts right up here. It starts in the mind. It starts about what we think. Again, when you look at something, it becomes engraved. It's like your mind takes a picture of it. And, and you can go back and look at the picture anytime you want because it's up here. Jesus talked about this. In the Sermon on the Mount, notice the context there, adultery, but notice what he says, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard it said that there was said, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So think about it. If you think that, 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 oh, well, you know, as long as I am not, you know, physically having an affair or having any kind of sexual relations with somebody, as long as it's just looking at a picture or looking at a video, I am safe. You're not. According to Jesus, if you're thinking about it, you're as guilty as if you committed, the, you know, the physical component. That's what it says. You think about this. When you're looking at an image, a video, whatever the case may be, you're lusting after someone you don't even know. And by the way, that someone that you even know, and by the way, it's not just women. I guess we saw that, that this is a situation that affects both women, men and women. You're looking at someone you don't even know that, that has a father. I mean, this is someone's daughter, someone's son that you're looking at. That you're lusting after. You don't know this. This is a person that Jesus died to save. And what happens is that when we, when we are, 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 are consistently doing this, we're exploiting them and we're supporting a, a sinful industry. And in the mind of Jesus, you already looking because it's, just, it's up here. It's what you're thinking. You've already committed the sin. 
You don't have to do the physical part. You've already committed. And now again, you're going to, that's the direction it's going to go if you don't do anything about it. It's going to go into the, to, to the, to the sexual or, or, or the physical component. And who knows how many other sexual behaviors you will do because you didn't do anything about it. This is serious stuff, friends. Because think about it. When you're looking at um, an image, when you're, when you're indulging in this issue of pornography, uh, who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about making somebody else happy? Or are you thinking about making yourself happy? It's about self. It's about selfishness, and selfishness is the root of sin. It's me, myself, and I. It's about you. And friends, sex was not created about you. Sex, again, in the context of a married couple, a man and a woman, in that context, was meant for you to show your loved one how much you love them, and for them to show you how much they love them. It's not about selfishness. It's about giving. But when we indulge in this, it's about selfishness. It's about me. It's about me being pleased. That's not God's ideal, friends. It isn't God's ideal. It's selfishness. But notice the contrast between verse 16 and 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. So if you're joined to the harlot, if you're joined to to that illicit sexual immorality, you're joined to that. Because the two become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one with him. See, he who loves and trusts the Lord seeks to unite himself with him in every way possible. He or she actively rejects anything that displeases him and accepts only those things that are in harmony with his will. The joining of the Lord, friends, means an intimate connection. God wants to have an intimate connection with you. You know, you have heard it said that, that an intimacy, this, uh, when, when a couple is intimate with each other, a married couple, it is very important because uh, that sort of glues them together. If you tuned in last week to Bible versus Everyday Life, we talked about premarital sex. Is premarital sex becoming the norm? If you didn't tune in, you can go to our, our, your YouTube channel and watch it. Because very informative, we looked at some of the physiological issues regarding sex. And we found that it's interesting, we saw earlier that uh, when we engage in this, dopamine is released in our brains, right? This is why this is so addictive. But in the case of, of, of the ladies, you have a, 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 a hormone that is called oxytocin. Oxytocin. That is released there. Now, uh, uh, mothers know that... Um, uh, oxytocin, if you're a mom and you've ever breastfed your child, when you breastfeed your, chi- your children, that releases oxytocin. And the purpose for that is to create a bond between you and your child. This is God-designed. When, when you're involved, when the, when the female is involved in a sexual relationship with somebody, oxytocin is released. And again, the purpose is to create a bond between her and her loved one. In the case of the male, you have vasopressin. And the purpose is the same. It's released in, our, in, in the brains, and it's, the purpose is to create that bond. Because see, God knew that eventually there will be issues with, with, with families and, and couples staying together till death do us part. And so he did whatever he, could, he, whatever he could do in our design to make sure that we stuck together. But you see, the problem with that, and, and again, this is how we, we addressed this with, uh, last week with premarital sex, is that you don't have to be married for that for those chemicals to be released. 
So if you're not married and those chemi- you're having a sexual relationship with somebody, those chemicals are released. The oxytocin and the vasopressin, the bond is created. And now you have a bond with somebody, and, and maybe that you don't even know. It may, it may have been a one-night stand. But the bond is created. And so what happens if, if we engage in this kind of thing time and time again, so you, you, you create a bond, then you break the bond because now you're moving on to somebody else. And then you bond with that person, and you break the bond. And you go over here and bond with this person, and you break the bond. Now, now, if you've ever, I don't know, broken like a, like a, a teacup or something, right? So the teacup, the handle broke, and you say, get some crazy glue. You put some crazy glue, you put it back together. And then, and then maybe a week later, it falls, and it breaks in the same place. Well, you get some crazy glue, and you put some there, and, and you put it back together. And you do this two or three times. Eventually, it's not going to stick. And the same thing happens with us. You know, when we're creating a bond and breaking it, creating a bond and breaking it, what happens is that eventually when you're finally ready to make the commitment to somebody, you can't bond with them anymore. This is why, it's, why there's so many divorces these days. But now, understand this, that you don't have to be physically involved with somebody to create the bond for those chemicals to be released because the same thing happens when you're looking at an image or you're looking at a picture. The same thing happens. You create a bond and a fantasy with that, with that image on the computer. And that's not God's ideal. This is why it's so hard to break through this. God wants an intimate relationship with us. And when we bring another party into the equation, whether it is mentally or physically, it damages our relationship with the loved one and it damages our relationship with God. Somebody, so another party is in the midst here. You see, the act of fornication, this pornea, this pornography, it's temporary. But even though if it's temporary, our character has already been degraded. Because think about it, we become what we look at. This is a biblical principle. Paul talks about it, that by beholding, we become transformed into which that which we behold. If we're beholding Jesus, we are going to become like him. But if you're beholding this smart online... That's what you're going to become. That's what character you're going to have. Union with Christ, on the other hand, lifts us up to the highest moral spiritual level. The union is lasting in which the mind of Jesus becomes our mind. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus every day. And not like that garbage that Satan wants to, to, to give you. Because think about it, you can't give what you don't have. Satan is garbage. That's all he can offer you. I want to become more like Jesus. What do you say? This is why Paul commands flee, run away from pornea, run away from immorality. You know, um, sometimes we want to stand around and argue with Satan, right? Talk with Satan. You know, uh, uh, sometimes we want to see how close we can walk toward the precipice without falling. Look at the guy over here. He's just looking down the precipice, thinking that he's safe because he's on this side of it. But let me tell you, if you are walking already toward the precipice, you've already fallen. Because you shouldn't be walking that way. And, and you know, this happens with sin in general in our lives. A lot of times I hear people say, well, is that a sin? Did the Bible say that's wrong? Well, listen, a lot of times we just want to be so close to the edge without falling, thinking that we're safe. If we're not safe, friends. How, th- how different things would have been if Eve didn't think she could argue with the serpent. 
And she would have walked away. She would have gone in the other direction. And again, sometimes we think that we're strong enough. We say, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm strong enough to resist. But the temptation of sexual immorality, of porneia, is so subtle that the only safety is to run away. Go in the opposite direction. And, and, and we have an example in the Bible, don't we? You think about Joseph. Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar buys him. He becomes a slave in Potiphar's household and, and becomes a, a trustworthy slave. And, and, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph and wanted to have a sexual relationship with him. We read in Genesis 39, 11, and 12, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. And none of the other men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment, and what did he do? He ran away. He fled and ran away. And I don't think Joseph could be accused of being a coward. He ran away because he, he was really strong. Because he knew, I mean, think about it. He's a, he's a young man with all the hormones going through his body. And, you, and the argument could be made that Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. If he has stuck around, he knew this. If I stick around here, I'm going to fall. I am getting out of here, friends, and that's what we should do too. There's no other way to avoid the pollution of sexual immorality than to flee. And so that means we have to be bold. We have to be bold. If it's your cell phone, you know, put it away. Put it somewhere else. Go, go to another room. Keep your cell phone away. If it's the laptop, put the laptop uh, where somebody else or everybody else is there so you can be accountable to somebody. Never alone. You got to do what you need to do in order to be successful. And friends, men and women would be saved from tears, from remorse, from poverty, from disease, from want, from lifelong misery if they would just flee fornication. And so notice, let's, let's a quick review here. Why should we flee? The first three reasons. Because the body was not designed for sexual immorality, but for God's glory. Because indulging in carnal desires is unworthy of the saints. God has a plan for our bodies. Why get them into the modern filth of sexual sin? And because we are members of the body of Christ, thus if a believer is joined to a harlot, it is the same as making the member of Christ a member of the harlot. The two become one. And we should be united with Jesus, not with the harlot. That's what God wants, that intimate relationship. But you know, um, again, speaking from experience, Satan tries to convince you that there is no victory, there's no way out of this. You know, sometimes when you get into the sin of sexual immorality, you're, in, you're so entangled that you feel that there's no way you can get out. Why fight it? You're not going to be able to fight it, might as well just give in. Trust me, this is what he put in my mind for, for a long time. But there's always victory in Jesus, don't it? And so I want to, before we do our closing hymn, I want to show you a video quickly. It's a, show, it's a short video, just as a testimony of a young man who also dealt with this and found victory. So if you guys want to put that now. It's titled Break Free or Breaking Free. One day I was curious on the computer and I just got into the wrong websites and I just keep getting further and further into it until it was a porn website. At first, it was this curiosity thing, you know. It was exciting. It was really, it got your adrenaline going because I knew I wasn't supposed to look at it. And I knew that I was wrong because I grew up with two Christian parents. And so it was this exciting thing that got the adrenaline rushing and, oh, we weren't supposed to do that. But it became this really, really 
deeply entrenched thing that I was doing constantly. It was all day, every day. As soon as I can get on my iPod, I, I looked at it. Or as soon as I got on the internet when nobody was around, I looked at it. It slowly became like this thing that was I was reliant on for my happiness when I get that adrenaline rush. But when it ended, I just got severely depressed. I just didn't talk to anybody. I reclused in, I was a homebody. I didn't really want to do anything out, out of the house at all. And I didn't talk to my family, didn't try to make any new friends. And so I'd look at porn and then I'd be like, oh God, I'm sorry, I, this, is, this is my last time. I keep saying this is my last time, this is my last time, this is my last time. When I gave my life over to Christ and met Jesus, he empowered me, gave me the people around me, the accountability partners, to overcome this and beat this and said, you're holy, you're clean, you're pure now. Don't eat this trash of the world. It was like these chains were shaken off of me like crazy. I became so, so happy and it wasn't reliant on this thing that would only last a minute or two. It was just the most freeing, freeing experience when I met Jesus. Jesus can set you free, friends. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.